with the scent of potpourri Filled with commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, and while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer for tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, early access to episodes, and much more. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media and on Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer. And uh, it is just me today. And on the subject of Patreon, this episode is another one of my patented, and by patented, I mean I did it once a couple of months ago. <laughs> but this is kind of a peek behind the curtain of Patreon episode. Um, so a few a few years ago, basically, uh, uh, um, longtime listener and supporter of the show, Robert in Utah, who we've referred to uh, several times in the course of the podcast, he 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 watched a show called Dark. Dark is a Netflix uh, science fiction show. It is uh, based out of Germany, and he watched it. He loved it. He suggested that we review it. Now, we dragged our feet quite a bit, and I cannot apologize more <laughs> to Robert. But finally, at this point now, finally, um, I have watched the first season of Dark. And in doing that, in the process of watching the first season of Dark, I recorded episode reviews for Patreon that I posted on the $2 and above Patreon tier levels. And last night I finished the season, so I have 10 reviews of Dark on Patreon now. And I, I've got to say I'm incredibly proud of the, the reviews that I posted on Patreon. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing this episode, because uh, there's a, there are a couple of reasons. One is that this episode, by the way, is, is basically I'm, I'm releasing the first two episodes of my, of my dark coverage on Patreon onto the main feed of Obsessive Viewer. And the idea is twofold. One is that I want people to watch the show because in the 10 episodes of the first season, over the course of the 10 episodes, it became almost immediately apparent that A, this show is incredibly special, and B, by the end of the season, I have, I'm floored by it. This is an incredible piece of television, and furthermore, it's an incredible piece of science fiction television, and it is already, it is already in one season, uh, gotten into the pantheon of my, of my, like, idea of great science fiction and great time travel storytelling. Um, and that is no easy feat because I love time travel. I love science fiction. So having this just burst through and just, and just be so domineering in, in its effort to impress me, uh, not its effort to impress me in, in particular, but the level of storytelling is what I should say is 
outstanding. So what I'm doing is I'm releasing the first two reviews of Dark. Uh, I I did a season by or episode by episode um, review on Patreon. I'm releasing the first two in the hopes that you, the listener, will hear it and be compelled to watch it and then watch the show because it is such a great show. And then, you know, if by chance you want to listen to the rest of my reviews of it, I'm going to be continuing on with season two very soon and season three. It's a three season show. Uh, first, uh, first season is 10 episodes. Second and third seasons are eight episodes apiece. Um, but if you want to hear the rest of them, you can go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, sign up at the rate of $2 per month or higher and get access to it. Um, you'll have immediate access to everything on, on the level that you, that you go on. So it's, I don't know, it's really fun. And I really hope that you guys enjoy these reviews and everything. And you consider supporting us on Patreon because it's just, it's really, uh, I'm, I really love doing it and everything. <laughs> so, so before I let you guys go to the first two Patreon exclusive uh, reviews, I want to say a couple of things. I, I want to do another quick, quick sell on it. Um, these particular reviews, they are spoiler, spoilerific. They are, they, they are very spoilerified. Um, the here is your spoiler alert. I spoil the episodes as I review them. I'm reviewing them. I reviewed them one by one. So when you listen to the first episode review, I will be spoiling the content of the first episode entirely. I do not have, I did not have any knowledge of what was going to happen next. So it's a watch along review series. So go to Netflix, watch the first episode, come back, listen to my review of it, and then watch the second episode and listen to my review of that. And then watch the third episode and then sign up on Patreon (laughs) uh, for the rest of it. And yeah, most of all, I just want you to watch this show because Robert is 100% right. This is an incredible piece of television. It is an incredibly well-drawn story, and I just want more people to see it. I am fully in the camp of Dark. Um, Also, the creators of Dark have a new show coming out in November, on November 7th, 17th on Netflix called 1899, which I'm going to be doing episode reviews on Patreon for that for sure. Um, so it's just a matter of time and everything. Uh, yeah, so God, anyway, dark is incredible. Um, and before I get to the, get to the, uh, recordings and everything, I do want to mention that by the way, obviously timestamps are in the show notes, so you can skip ahead or skip over to, uh, the review and everything. But I do want to say that this week, on Thursday of this week, Heartland Film Festival starts. And I am very, very pleased and honored to um, be uh, covering Heartland for Nouveau.net. Um, so um, if you if you want to uh, check those reviews out and everything, I'm posting them all over social media and everything. I'm going to have reviews posting pretty much daily um, as, as much as I can get it written and everything. Um, the Heartland Film Festival is, an, is a great film festival and everything, and um, I'm just so happy that I get to uh, cover it for Heart, for for Nuvo. Um, so check that out and everything. So, okay, without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and leave you guys to my reviews of season one, 
episodes one and two of Dark on Netflix. Now, this first episode, uh, I recorded this on October 27th. Uh, 2022, and it covers the entirety of the first episode. And then the next episode, Lies, uh, was recorded on uh, August 28th. Oh, that's what I was also going to say, is that these reviews, I'm very, very um, proud of them and everything, and they're unique because I took rigorous notes. So the entire first season is 10 episodes, and just about every single review is an hour long. Like it, I, I went, I went very thorough with it. So I'm very proud of that. That's another kind of, you know, reason I'm pushing for you guys to sign up and everything. Cause I just want to hear, I want people to hear this. Um, but also just to frame of reference, uh, just to, to frame it for you guys, 10 episodes, first season of dark, my, uh, 10 episode, um, recordings and reviews of them totals a total of 11 hours and 18 minutes of audio. So uh, you pay $2 a month, you get access to that, plus countless, countless other stuff. I did uh, Hawkeye, um, the limited series uh, Candy on Hulu. Uh, Oh, Severance, big, big one. Severance, of course, uh, Stranger Things. So anyway, that's that's my hard sell. Uh, Go sign up, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. But here we go. I'm going to play... Uh, the episodes that I had for season one, episode one of Dark, followed by season one, episode two of Dark. Um, here are Secrets and Lies. Check the sh- show notes for timestamps. And thank you guys so much for listening and enjoy these Patreon exclusive uh, reviews. For me, the Patreon, and thank you guys so much for supporting us and for listening to us and for giving us money and everything. And a special shout out to Robert in Utah for uh, donating a little bit of money so that I would finally, finally get to the point where I uh, will review Dark on Netflix. Um, I am so appreciative of you, Robert, and of your patience and everything. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I am here to review Dark, Netflix, the Netflix original series based out of Germany um, that is very, very, uh, very well regarded. It's a German sci-fi drama mystery show, kind of in a similar vein to Stranger Things, only good. Um, <laughs> and, um, and not as kind of, uh, dependent on, uh, being reductive toward or, or being reacted, reactionary to popular culture or nostalgia and everything. Anyway, that's all stuff for a different time. But tonight, we are going to be talking about episode one from season one of Dark called Secrets, um, which I just watched. And I had told Robert that I was thinking about doing um, a kind of double duty, like watching each episode twice, once with once with dubbed audio and once with subtitles, um, because it is in German. Um, but... 
uh, I was just kind of eager to record this first episode, really, and to get deeper into the show. So I'm, and, and to be honest, one of my main hangups, one of my main issues is that I was concerned about doing subtitles because I, that's my normal thing. I normally really, really, really want to watch a foreign TV show or movie in the native language with subtitles because I feel like that is the best way to really kind of get the full performance of the actor um, on screen. And yeah, so I, I wanted to do that, but I was very hesitant with Dark because I think I had heard somewhere that people complained that the subtitles were a little too quick. And honestly, it looks like it is just a beautiful show, and I kind of didn't want to be distracted by subtitles. So my original thought was, okay, maybe I'll do like one pass of the episode watching it, watching it dubbed, and then watch the second one subtitled so that I can get kind of a, you know, best of both worlds kind of thing. But when I uh, went ahead and uh, started watching the first episode with the dubbed audio, I found that it wasn't distracting, like, at all. And I kind of feel like that's kind of sacrilegious of me <laughs> to say, but I do feel like that was definitely a, um, it wasn't as big of an obstacle as I thought it was going to be. So maybe once I finish the show, maybe I'll go back and watch it with subtitles, but I might stick to dubbed for, for the time being. Um, because this show is very, very engaging and it has, like, I can already tell from this first episode that it has a lot of moving pieces and a lot of things that I'm going to want to keep track of. So as such, when I watched this episode, I went ahead and typed up a bunch of notes, like 1600 words worth of notes. Um, <laughs> so this is going to be a hopefully comprehensive, um, TV reaction for Patreon. So once again, just want to say thank you guys for supporting us and thank you to Robert for uh, for all of like all your support and everything. It's much, much appreciated. Um, I'm actually recording this and this is all just technical stuff. I'm recording this on a new piece of equipment, the Roadcaster Pro 2. Um, and I'm doing something unique with, with this whole thing because I'm just insane. But I'm doing the first nine or first, yeah, the first... Uh, I think eight or nine reviews on the Roadcaster Pro 2 on a specific microphone. The information's in the show notes. And then for the finale, I'm going to do it on the Roadcaster Pro 1 with the same microphone. Um, just to see how it is in the finished product, to see how like the differences are, if there are any. Um, and I'm also planning some fun like commentary stuff where I'm going to be doing, um, this is so dumb, for the $5 and above patrons, I'm going to do a at least one, probably, hopefully, three commentary tracks where I record the commentary on both the Rodecaster Pro 2 and the Rodecaster with the same microphones. And in editing, I'm going to splice it together. So it'll jump from the Rodecaster Pro to the Rodecaster Pro 2 to the Rodecaster Pro back and forth, back and forth, just to see if there is a detectable difference. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's all That's all in the future. I don't know. But um, I am kind of worried about the Rodecaster Pro 2 because there is some weird thing with the headphones um, output on it. So it does feel like I... It feels like a slight delay, not delay, but it doesn't sound like the headphone amps are working the way that they should be. So I put in a request with Rode. So hopefully that's something that can be patched in a firmware update. And it's uh, hopefully it's something I don't need to send it out to. But anyway, all of that is meaningless because here I'm talking about Dark Season 1, Episode 1, titled Secrets. Um, 
So this is the first episode of the show, and right from the outset, we get a very good introduction to the mystery and to the – we get a good introduction to the mystery, but also we get very little information. And this is such a – it's such a trope to talk about how like, oh, the mystery is so engaging, but they don't know what they're doing or they don't know what's going on or or like I don't understand what's going on. So I'm going to nope out of it because I'm frustrated because the by design, this piece of media is not giving me the information that I want right up top. So there is this kind of, I don't know, um, this kind of this kind of uh, maybe not litmus test for viewers, but there's this kind of objection to some mystery elements and stuff. Um, but here, I think that Dark does a very good job of introducing these just very, very scant details that gives us just enough information to really kind of pique our interest and whet our appetite. Um, and it starts with the opening scene. We get this ominous narration um, that says, uh, oh, I didn't write what the opening thing was, but anyway, um, it talks about how time is not, not linear and how yesterday, today, and tomorrow are not consecutive. They are, but in an endless circle. And I just think that that as a thesis statement for the show is really, really compelling. Um, because I am someone who loves time travel. I love time travel and media. I love just science fiction in general, but the idea of time travel, the, the idea of kind of a cyclical like event or whatever, um, is very, very appetizing to me. So. I just really like that. So in addition to the opening narration, we get this kind of these, these glimpses of these opening, like, like these glimpses of these just very strange, um, oh, very strange, very strange images. Uh, we see like, uh, rifles, we see grenades, we see, um, a wall that has a bunch of people's pictures interconnected and all of that, which now I'm, now that I've seen the characters and I've got to, gotten to know the characters, I want to go back and see who is on the board and everything. Cause I'm sure it's everyone that we met. Um, but it's just very ominous and the narration is very, very, uh, creepy and, and ominous. And then from there we get our, the opening image of the show. The opening thing that we see is, a man that is sealing his suicide note and the timestamp on the screen is June 21st, 2019. And, uh, I feel like this was a very interesting hook for the mystery because we see him sealing up the envelope and then going and putting the noose around his neck and then killing himself. And then we get the zoom in to the envelope that says, do not open before November 4th at 10 13 PM. And I just think that that is such a cool introduction. That's such a cool introduction, a cool way to just bring us into the fold and make us wonder like what the hell is happening because that's literally the first thing we see. And right from there, we get Jonas waking up in bed in a, in a sweat. He's hyperventilating. He's clearly had a nightmare. It's kind of implied that he had the dream, um, that he dreamed of his father dying, but I, it's possible, but also it's just clear that that was actually a real life event that happened in the show. <laughs> uh, so I do like that kind of that visual cue that shows that Jonas has had his father's suicide weighing on his mind for a while. And 
I also like that just right from the outset, uh, from there, well, from there we get the opening credits, which are just really cool. Like the inverted images that are kind of like half the screen is one side, half the screen is the inverse of that. Um, I put, I made like special, um, <laughs> this is so dorky, but I made special, um, cover art for for episodes for this review series uh like i normally do with with patreon and i did that purposefully like inverting the images and stuff because like the image uh, like that that i found were like inverted images for the promotional materials and stuff so it was like that but i did like i purposely like did like uh the obsessive viewer logo on one side and then on the other side it's upside down because it's inverted but anyway so um, yeah. So anyway, so what I really like is after the opening credits, we get the timestamp of saying that it's November 4th, 2019. And right from the outset, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, we're getting right to the day uh, when they're when they're supposed to open the envelope. We're getting right to that moment. This isn't something that and I think that this is probably uh, indicative of, you know, international storytelling and like non like non-America stuff um, because we're not using that as like this ticking time bomb thing per se. We're not waiting an entire season for it to get to November 4th, 2019. Kind of like, okay, kind of like, this is a show that I bring up a lot, but kind of like flash forward how they had like it only lasted one season and was rightfully so canceled because it just had so much potential, but didn't go any, it was, it was it was pigeonholed by um network standards and stuff and trying to live in the in the shadow of lost but anyway this isn't about flash flash forward but um that show was all about like a global blackout that everyone had a vision of a certain date in the future the same date and then like it all led to like that date at the end of the season which is an interesting hook that's a good hook that's an interesting way to develop the tension throughout the season but here we have the opposite of that we have we have the show dark kind of has its cake and eats it too because we have that suspense built in that like oh what's going on november 4th um and then right from the outset, right after the opening credits, we get the knowledge that it is November 4th. It's November 4th, 2019. And there there you have it. Something big is happening. And that is what builds up the tension throughout the entire episode. And I love it. I, I love it. And I'm very curious. And Robert, I'm sure, will be able to field this question for me. But I, I, di- I could not help but notice that several elements of this episode and I'll probably keep them as I'll probably talk about them here and there throughout uh throughout this review but certain elements of the show really of this episode in particular really made me feel um vibes of Stephen King related stuff which I'm all for and I'm sure that I'm I'm pretty sure Robert has told me that like yes yes they they love Stephen King so you should watch this and I'm a dick and haven't watched it so I do apologize Robert for the delay but anyway um so uh so yeah so once we get into uh the scene we see Jonas is going going to get milk and sees that the power's out and then he calls for his mother who her name is Hannah. Yes. Um, who is having sex with a man upstairs <laughs> in her bed. Um, and says that, you know, the, um, 
the the power's out but then you know the man is like okay well i i i get i better go thanks for breakfast and we learn that his name is ulrich which i thought it was warwick but i i changed my notes and everything but anyway it's ulrich and hannah tells him that she loves him and then then he leaves he kind of leaves out the window and we find out find out later that he is a married man and has a family and everything and i just really like the way that this show that like that import that imp- that element in particular really goes to show the I feel like that is an interesting way to introduce us to how the show is going to divulge information to us because we have only the information that they are sleeping together. We know that this is what's he June, July, August, September, October, November, five months since um, Michael's death. And she is sleeping with another man. So there is so much there to, there's so much rich characterization there already. But then the added bonus of Ulrich being a, you know, married man brings a certain level of scandal and intrigue to, uh, to the drama of that. Um, so, so yeah, I just find that, find that pretty interesting and compelling. More on Ulrich here in a bit, but we get a series of, these beautiful opening shots of empty streets and wilderness and everything. And we get this just ginormous, like overpowering view of, um, of, of, of a nuclear power plant. Um, that's just off in the distance. And just the imagery overall of this is stunning. Like this is a very beautiful, very beautifully depicted show because it is, different um <laughs> like for lack of a better word it's different and i think that it's just me being an uh, an idiot american in america watching a foreign film or foreign tv show um just the the visuals of seeing germany depicted in this way is very very different it's very um it's it's unique and it stands out and everything it reminds me a lot of um, and maybe after I do dark, maybe I'll do this, but there was a show, a French show, I believe called the returned, uh, that's all about people that disappeared and then returned years later, having not aged. Um, and that just felt like the same thing. It's like, it's very much a different setting than what I'm accustomed to with most of the media that I watch and it's science fiction. So maybe I will do that after dark, but anyway, um, so, uh, so it just kind of like that element is, is pretty appealing to me. And I just, I love the imagery of the power plant and how it is just overbearing. It is just, it is present. It's ever present there. And it just feels like this overbearing presence. And I can't wait to find out more information about it. Um, but as Jonas is riding his bike throughout, throughout the town and throughout like the kind of like, uh, what was it like the empty streets and the wilderness and everything, we see a, a poster for a missing child named Eric Obendorf. And that is an interesting, that's an interesting thing. Um, and, and this does feel so much like a Stranger Things kind of riff or parallel thinking, because I don't know when this was in production, um, compared to when Stranger Things season one was in production, but it's just interesting that like, this is, it's interesting that Netflix has both. But I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if Netflix funded the production of this or just bought it from uh, whatever production company had it in Germany. I don't know the ins and outs of that, but I just find it interesting that we have some similarities with Netflix productions. So 
Anyway, we get a lot of just imagery of the town of Winden, and we get imagery of the wilderness. We see a shot of Winden Caves, or no, 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 it's a sign of Winden Caves, 0.6 miles. And then it cuts to an ominous shot of a cave opening and some loud sounds uh, associated with it, which makes me really, which, which made me really curious. And it just felt like impending doom in that cave because it's just shrouded in darkness, of course, but it's also just really, really, really interesting. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Um, so then we get, so, so we get Jonas walking through a, through like a path with a man who I, I'm a little bit unclear on his placement in the, in the narrative. One of the things I really like about the show so far in this first episode is the way that it shows us so many characters who are so deeply interconnected and interwoven in each other's lives. It's that sense of like a community that is incredibly satisfying to me. And furthermore, it's something that really feels, um, authentic and really, really makes me think about, uh, uh, Stephen King kind of influence on that. But anyway, Jonas is walking through the woods with his therapist and they're talking about, uh, they're talking about how, uh, he's, he's seeing images of his father and his therapist asks if it's in his dreams and Jonas doesn't really answer him. Um, and he kind of has this outburst where he sa he says that he thinks that uh, his dad is trying to tell him something. And, and the therapist says, well, what do you think he's trying to tell you? And he just goes off. And I loved this outburst. Um, I can't wait to watch it in its native language with subtitles, actually, because I think that the performance is incredible. Because um, he just says that he that that he just wants an explanation he wants to know why his father left nothing um and that clued me into think that i don't understand why the envelope was hidden away like what is the what is the significance there because we get to see that i believe that it's michael's mother is in possession of the envelope in a lockbox um more on that later but i'm kind of curious like what that whole deal is about and also why Michael killed himself. I kind of got the sense because I feel like Hannah, I feel like it's implied that Hannah works with the nuclear power plant in some capacity. Um, cause I'm a little unclear on the, the massage scene. Um, we'll get to that later, but I wonder if Michael worked for the power plant and he knew things that he couldn't live with or what, whatever the mystery is. I, I don't know, but it's very, very intriguing. Um, so we get a little bit of backstory and exposition about the power plant. Um, I didn't write enough in my notes, but it ba basically it was, um, commissioned, I guess it was, it was started in the sixties and then it is set to be decommissioned in 2020, which in the, um, in the timeline of the show is, you know, in a couple of months. And the radio announcer says that it has the longest record of failure-free operation of a nuclear power plant in all of Germany, which I feel like is an interesting tidbit. Um, and then we get uh, to go back to Ulrich's family. We get the reveal that Ulrich is a family man. And this is, again, another really interesting way to divulge the information because we get this hectic morning sequence of a a woman that is that is trying to get all of her kids settled and and ready for school and everything we get the introduction of of Mikkel 
and uh, then Magnus comes in, um, and then I, I think Barbara is is the daughter's name. I'm not sure, but anyway, um, and I, and I'm I think that Ulrich's wife is um, maybe named Katrina because of the scene with Hannah and Ulrich. I don't know. I'm still learning and everything, but basically. It's a really cool reveal when Ulrich comes in and it's revealed like, oh, he has a family that he like everything seems like happy go lucky and everything and, and happy and nice. And I just find that really, really interesting uh, in terms of the drama inherent within it. Um, so as he's playing good husband and everything, and I and I want to say that his wife, I said I said I think her name is Katrina because of based on what Hannah said in the earlier scene, but I think she's the principal of the school. Um, I think that that might be the case. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, it's still kind of hard to keep track of everything. But uh, Ulrich is speaking to his son, Mikkel, the young boy who's dressed in like a skeleton hoodie. And he asks if he wants to see a magic trick. So he does. And, <laughs> and I just imagine like in my head, like what if he did the pencil trick from the Dark Knights? <laughs> Um, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Anyway, um, so what he does is he has two cups that cover two spaces. One has like an object underneath it. I, I put in my notes attack or whatever. And the other doesn't. And then he taps on the top of each of them and lifts the cups. The tack has moved under the opposite cup. I have no idea what significance that bears to what is going on in the greater mystery, but that scene gave me such strong vibes from Lost, in particular from season one of Lost, where Locke is teaching Walt how to play backgammon, and he has, like, the two, like, pieces, one white, one black, and says, like, two two sides, one, one light, one dark, um, that's, like, whatever, and that goes on to be like the th main thesis statement or the main point of the entirety of Lost is this battle of good versus evil. So I think that that's maybe somewhat the implication here is that this magic trick that, that uh, Mikkel does is of some significance on a metaphorical level to the story that's being told. And I find that really interesting. And I feel like that scene is going to be something that really makes it interesting upon rewatch. Um, because I just, I find it really interesting, maybe some kind of teleportation thing. Um, because I know that at the heart of this show, it has something to do with time travel. I can't, and I don't know, I'm sure that it's much more complex than that, given what we saw, but it's just, it's really, really intriguing to me. So, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, we get then a scene with Jonas meeting up with his friend Bazarus or whatever. I can't remember his name. But anyway, uh, I have it in my notes later. But anyway, he meets up with his friend at school. This is Jonas's first day back after his father's suicide. His friend told everyone that he was in France on some, uh, from, on like some study, some like, uh, maybe not study abroad, <laughs> but, uh, this, this, uh, exchange program thing. And yeah, so he's a little nervous about that. And then we get another cut back to Ulrich, who that is revealed that Ulrich is a cop, um, presumably. <laughs> I mean, yes, he is a cop in the show. Um, likely like a detective. He's somewhat high ranking, but he is involved in the case to look for Eric Obendorf. And we get, like, the detail. Like, I love that this is our introduction to the actual detail of the investigation. Because all we saw previous to this scene 
is a missing child poster that has Eric on it. And when we have that, we're intrigued by it, of course. And here is where we get the actual information. But what they do, what the show does and does so well, like this is very clever. It gives us the information about the missing child through the experience of the the child's parents like anger at uh anger over the police department not being able to find him and i just find that really really good like good storytelling and uh, ulrich at that point kind of suggests suggests that well we don't even know if there a crime has taken place because eric has left before and his parents are like well you know he's only left for a couple of days it's been 13 days there's something wrong um and then ulrich promises that they'll find him which i thought like i I thought like oh god that's 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 a hard promise to keep (laughs) but um yeah i don't know but anyway then it cuts to the cave entrance again but this time the camera is inside the cave and we see this um we see this mysterious figure walking out of it uh we can't see who it is but i'm very and very very curious about it um and then so i'm kind of bouncing around i'm going scene by scene so i hope that this is okay but anyway we get the introduction of francesca and magnus uh, who is the son of the principal. So yeah, so then she is the principal. Um, so yeah, he's the son of the principal. He's smoking weed and Francesca comes up and, uh, and they kind of flirt a little bit. Not, not a lot of detail there, but I'm curious how that is going to develop as the, as the show progresses. Um, and then from there we get an assembly at the school (laughs) with Jonas sitting down and his friend, uh, talking about how, um, talking about how uh, useless assemblies are and everything. And like in retrospect, that kind of feels like he's just trying to uh, negate some of the tension that he's feeling because his girlfriend comes up and it's clear that his girlfriend and uh, Jonas have some kind of past. And uh, what happened was Jonas's friend started dating um, this girl while Jonas was away. So, it's kind of seems like a little bit dramatic there. And I'm in, like, it's kind of implied by um, Jonas's friends reaction to Jonas seeing them that like him saying like, Oh yes, it's um, it's, you know, some, something, something is not normal from before you left or whatever he said. Um, so like the implication that he like knows that he's in the wrong or that he did something that Jonas wouldn't approve of is is there. But again, we don't have a lot of information about it, which I find really compelling. It makes the storytelling uh all the more um interesting. And uh and yeah, so uh the the assembly is for is is about the missing child and I really liked this line where uh, I think it was the principal and I think that it was Magnus's mother slash Ulrich's, uh, wife, um, saying it, but, um, she says there can be no secrets in this matter, which I find really interesting and really, um, uh, just a really cool line. And then from there, uh, just the flow of the show is really cool too, because it's just going straight to the next scene with, uh, Ulrich and I think Charlotte is her name. Uh, his partner at the, at the, I almost said detective agency at the police department. <laughs> uh, they're talking about the leads that they have or the lack thereof. They have no leads. The investigation is going completely cold. 
And, uh, and then we get another really interesting piece of information because Ulrich says that, you know, Wyndon doesn't have crime like this. This is not something that happens in Wyndham, in Wyndon. And Charlotte says, well, I think you would agree that that's not true. And, uh, then Ulrich says, this has nothing to do with my brother. And at that moment, I was like, wait, is Ulrich this, the, is Ulrich Michael's brother? And is he thereby sleeping with his brother's widow? But that's not the case at all. We get more information on that later, which I'll talk about. Um, and I really like this line as he left the room and he says, he asks, uh, Charlotte if she's ever wondered, like, when your life took the wrong turn and, and what you could do if you could take it back or whatever. Um, so I find that interesting. And so probably one of my least favorite moments of this episode, if I could criticize it slightly, I really like the show, so <laughs> don't worry. But there's this, like, scene that just feels a little bit out of place. Uh, we get the Forest Hotel Winden, uh, which has, I think her name is, like, Regina or something. She's the owner of the hotel, and she answers the phone, and she is basically berated by the bank. Um, it's implied that she's in very hot water with the bank, and she says that, you know, the tourism is down because no one wants to rent a room in the town where a kid went missing. But then again, also, like, she says that she's delinquent on the payments or she's like the threat is that the bank is going to foreclose on the hotel. But but the the child has only been missing for 13 days, which that just seems kind of weird, which also makes me wonder now that I'm talking about it out loud. It makes me wonder if the um, if she's also implying that what whatever happened with Ulrich's um, brother is a, is a contributing factor of that. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but I, that just kind of seemed a little out of place. And then when she pops back up in the meeting later, it just feels like, I don't know. She just feels like she doesn't really factor in all that well. Like it doesn't feel like it, it, that is an ill-fitting part in, in the introductory narrative of this episode, I will say of this show. So anyway, um, I want to say in the next scene, we get a little bit about, uh, basically Jonas's friend is telling him that, uh, if Eric didn't run away and someone killed him, then that means his stash of drugs is still out in the cave. And that made me very intrigued. And I love that. I love the way that this episode kind of creates a situation in which, there are uh, competing narratives all reaching to a certain point in their own in their own way to kind of create this overarching idea of like presenting this community to us as the viewer, which I'll talk more about that and that'll make more sense later. But anyway, I do want to also mention that I think it's Francesca or whoever is giving the presentation. She's talking about black holes. Um, which I, I just kind of pegged as like, oh, maybe, maybe that has some kind of connection to the greater story. Cause it's very much science, science fiction based and everything. So maybe there's some kind of like connection to black holes in it, but we'll see as we go on. Um, but Jonas's friend who I'm coming up on his name here. Um, let me actually scroll down a little bit because I think I remember where I had it in my notes. Um, no, it's way down here. I can't find it. But anyway, it's like, Bazaraki or something. I don't know. But, um, anyway, he, he has this plan that he's going to go 
get the drugs. He's going to steal the drugs. They're either going to smoke it all or they're going to sell what remains after they smoke it all. I don't know. Um, but this is like just classic, like teenage, teenager kind of attitudes and stuff. So, uh, then the next scene is Ulrich visiting his mother because Charlotte had told him that his mother keeps calling the emergency line to try to get him, uh, to try to get, get a hold of him to come visit her. And I was a little confused here. I thought that for a second, I thought that she was the woman that had Michael's letter. Um, but I don't, she's, she's not, she's not. Um, so that's, that's fine. But we do get just a little bit more detail, a little bit more information about it, um, about his history, about Ulrich's history in particular. Um, uh, she, so, so first of all, she says that she saw something in the woods and she, like, I, I wrote this line down cause this was really interesting and intriguing to me, but she said, there are things out there that our tiny brains can't comprehend. I don't know if that's the exact line or not, but, um, she saw something out there and she can't make sense of it. She doesn't know what it is. It did not look human. It looked massive. And I'm just very curious what that could possibly be. But then immediately after that, we get uh, this very tantalizing bit of information where she says, this whole thing with the missing kid, Eric, is like what happened with your brother back then. And then she says, everything's repeating itself. And everything is like it was 33 years ago, which just I like I want to know more. I want to know so much more. And in, I'm so intrigued by that. Um, and, it, and in that scene, in that moment, there is just a very uh, interesting close up of a picture of Ulrich and his brother that with the caption Mother's Day 1986. Um, and that's when I finally realized like, oh, OK, Ulrich isn't Michael's brother. Um, yeah. And then as if we, as if we, um, need more just vague information and everything, we get another scene or, or an additional, uh, a new scene at a new location, the Winden rest home, where we see an old man sitting at a, at a chair with a blanket over his lap, uh, muttering a repeated line of it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again which is so crazy. Like, I don't know what that means. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very tantalized by that. And then to further bring us into the just weird, uh, surreal nature of what's going on, whatever it may be, we get a completely strange out, out there moment where we get a scene where, uh, the song spin me around or whatever, uh, you spin me right round, whatever. I don't know. I think it's just called right round. I don't know who, who cares? So we have that music video playing on a TV in this very carefully situated room that is like a bedroom with a bunk bed and some toys. It looks incredibly sterile. It looks incredibly clean and everything seems like it's put in place, um, in a very specific specific order and very specifically meticulously created to a de- to a detail. Also, there's what looks like an electric chair in the middle of it, which is just so weird and crazy and confusing. And I'm very curious about it. But also 
we see that the kid in the bed, he turns around and, and looks at the TV and we see his face. At this point, I didn't, I didn't clock who it was because I didn't pay close enough attention to the flyers, but it is the missing kid. It is Eric Obendorf. Um, so I'm very, like, I have no idea what, the, what that could mean. And then the end of the episode has something really cool that I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. And I'm very, very curious. Um, so yeah, I, I, for a moment I thought that maybe it was uh, maybe a dream sequence, but it's not. It really has the, um, it really has this idea that, or this this presentation of it that seems like it's like a prison, which I find really interesting. Um, oh, okay, Jonas's friend's name is Bartos. Uh, which is a very interesting name. But anyway, they're walking down the hall in the next scene. They're talking about their plans for getting the drugs. And then they meet up with, uh, his, with, with Bartaz's girlfriend. And, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, the other dude, um, uh, Magnus, Magnus. And, uh, but anyway, so they're talking and they're talking about getting the drugs and everything. And then I think it's, I did not catch Bartaz's girlfriend's name. And, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know her name. So I'm just going to refer to her as, as that. But, um, she talks about how, like, she has a friend, like, she doesn't want to go to the cave because she has a friend, Franny, who says that he, she saw, like, this deformed, squirrel and it was terrifying or something and uh magnus is like you believe everything you you hear you dumbass <laughs> and she's just like well you know the it, like i wrote this down she says the nuclear power mafia keeping keeps things secret from the public so obviously things can be weird and i'm like that line just stood out to me because i'm very curious how how this will uh, play out and everything um, so then we get Ulrich's wife at home looking over a piece of clothing in which she pulls a long hair from, which implies that she is in the process of catching Ulrich in the act of cheating. And, uh, she sets it aside. Um, so that's going to be an interesting avenue for drama, I think. And then this is where we get to the point where, um, Hannah, I believe, is do is giving a massage to a man. I don't know what that is supposed to be from judging from the dialogue. I feel, I feel like he is someone of importance at the power plant. Um, and, oh, he has like this, this contusion on his shoulder on his back. Um, and she says like, that means that, uh, you know, mun muscle tension can predict the future. So it's going to rain or something. Um, so I was very curious about that, but, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what this was because for a long time in the scene, I was wondering if that was Ulrich, but I don't think it was. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so she is giving this massage and everything. And he's talking about how it's been almost 33 days, 33 years to the day since I first came to Wyndon, which is interesting because 33 years from there, that's when 1986, that's when, um, whatever happened to Ulrich's brother happened. So that's really interesting. Um, so I, but yeah, I have no idea who that man is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that's the scene where I learned, uh, that Michael's name is Michael and that Hannah's name is Hannah. Um, so yeah, anyway, 
Um, then we get Michael's mother looking over the letter or looking over the envelope with the letter. Um, and she's just looking at the clock in anticipation to opening the letter. And this is another thing that I really like because we're over halfway through this episode and we don't have that. Um, we don't have that level, like, like we don't have that intrigue. We don't like they, uh, I misspoke there. The show hasn't been milking that suspense at all. And I just find that really interesting. I think that that is a great way to build suspense for it is to have us anticipating it in a very low key fashion. And I just, I really like that. So, uh, so yeah, so then we're kind of transitioning to night. Jonas is riding his bike to the caves and just seeing the night version of like the woods and the empty street that he's, that he's riding down is just so cool. And I really love the music in that scene. And I don't know. It's just, it's such a cool, just visceral experience. Also, Jonas's yellow rain jacket. Again, I'm going to talk about Stephen King. Absolutely reminiscent of Georgie in it. Um, in particular, like, it just looks like Georgie's outfit. Like that is absolutely, it, it feels like it has to be an intentional reference. Um, so anyway, Jonas makes it to the cave and he meets Bartaz's girlfriend there, who they're the first ones to arrive. And that's where we get a little bit of, of, of history between them and a little bit of the, of the intrigue about what's going on between them because she says that she tried to text him, uh, several times, but couldn't bring herself to do it. So they do have history, but but I don't know what it is. And I'm just very intrigued by it. And what's interesting is that this cuts out or like, like their conversation gets cut short. Cause she says that she just had a very intense feeling of deja vu. And she even says it's as if all it's all happened before. And I just love that idea. I love that breadcrumb, especially considering that the old man is saying like, it's happening again. It's happening again. I don't know what is going on, but like those little scant details, those little scant character moments are very appealing to me. And so Jonas, they kind of talk a little bit about it. And he says that it's a glitch in the matrix. And then she says, or it's a message from the other side, which I found that to be very interesting. Um, yeah. So anyway, the rest of the group shows up. Magnus has brought, uh, uh, Malik, Malik, Mikkel, Mikkel. Mickle, Mickle. There you go. Um, and yeah, so at that point I was very nervous about what was going to happen, uh, when they got into the caves, but this is where the show really, really kind of, uh, brings together so many things, um, in different ways. So we then get like, it's building up toward that. We have these, these separate storylines all going concurrently and we have, him, we have the kids at the, at the cave, and then we've got the old man walking from the rest home somewhere that we don't know yet. Uh, uh, well, we find out later he's going to the school, but anyway, and he's mutter, he's still muttering that it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. And that is just so interesting to me. That is so interesting to me. Um, and it makes me very curious, but, and I'm, I'm wondering if he has some kind of connection to Ulrich's brother. Maybe he is Ulrich's brother, um, maybe, I don't know. Well, no, that, that doesn't really add up in terms of the age. I think, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, so he is, he's going to the school. We get, um, a look at the parents meeting that they're having about the missing child and talking about how, you know, the Wyndon has such a low crime rate. 
Um, and, and they're just kind of talking through how to deal with, you know, the fact that there is a child missing in their community. Um, and then we cut back to the group at the cave. They're talking about Eric and Mikkel, Mikkel, Mikkel. <laughs> he thinks someone may have taken him and like they riff on this a little bit and they talk a little bit about, um, he like maybe he was taken from uh, taken by someone like the witch from Hansel and Gretel. And as soon as, you know, the witch gets hungry, she's going to eat Eric. And I just, I like, that is just like these breadcrumbs, these, these in uh, these inferences that I'm drawing. It's like, this could be anything like at this point, Eric's like incarceration, Eric's disappearance could be anything. And these little like pieces of information where characters are theorizing about it are just very tantalizing and very interesting. And then Jonas kind of says, and it, this is another, this is, this is another line that really feels like it's, um, kind of meant to be a bigger metaphor for the entire show or for something in the show. But he says that his father used to say that good and evil is just a matter of perspective, which I love that line so much. Again, reminds me of Lost a bit, but, you know, I uh, I digress. Um, so back at the parents' meeting at the school, we have the old man walking in, and he repeats over and over that it's going to happen again, it's going to happen again. And then he looks at Charlotte, I believe, and says, like he asks, is it already too late? Which, again, is super tantalizing, super interesting. We have no idea what's going on. We have no idea what the importance of that is. And then... Uh, and then we cut to Michael's mother waiting for the, for the clock to get to 10 or whatever time it was supposed to be 10 13, I think. Um, and she's just waiting. And I just it, like the suspense is building because we have all of these different, uh, concurrent plot lines going and they've been built up so well up to this point that I'm just, I'm very invested and very curious. Um, and then we get back to the kids in the forest and everything, and we see Jonas kind of stopping uh, at the gate to the power plant. And again, I think that the imagery of that of those two like big nuclear power plants, whatever they're called, um, big things, um, <laughs> uh, the power. What are those called? I don't know. But anyway. Uh, I just think that that gives such an interesting sense of like over, like overbearing power over a, over a small area. And it just is really cool imagery and everything. And then this is, and then we get Ulrich finds Hannah smoking where Magnus was, where Francesca was earlier. Um, I like the kind of um, duality of that, I guess. Um, but then, Ulrich and Hannah start aggressively making out, um, which is kind of kind of interesting. I'm I'm not sure what that is supposed to mean or be or whatever, but we'll see. Um, so then Michael's mother opens the envelope, and I love that we don't get any information about that. We don't get any information about what's in the envelope, what he said in the letter. All we see is she reads it, and then later she discards it and um and and kind of hangs her head and, and sadness and grief. And that is just so, so appealing. That is so tantalizing, so interesting to me. Um, I love it. So 
then we get back to the group of kids. They're walking toward the caves and they find a what looks like a campsite. Presumably it's Eric's like hideaway place. Um, and Francesca pops up pops up out of nowhere and has his stash of drugs. At least I think that was Francesca. But she offers to sell it for them, sell it to them for 200 even though it's worth 500 And then I think it's Magnus kind of like doesn't I think he kind of pushes her and then takes the drugs um and then all of the drama stops because there is a very loud intense noise that comes from the cave opening and the flashlights start flickering and everything it is like it's on this is this is the moment this is where the episode the episode has been building toward it's intense they run away and then we get a cross cut to Michael's mother reading the note and then Cut back to the kids running. We see Jonas fall. We hear, uh, uh, we, and we hear his father's voice call to him. And the sound design here is really cool because it's like this beating heartbeat kind of thing. And when Jonas gets up, he's, he's yelling for Mickle. And then he hears his father's voice call to him. And then he looks and he sees his father standing there, his head covered in blood. And, Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna evoke um, Stephen King. It reminds me so much of like the concept of Thinnies in the Dark Tower series, and uh, it kind of feels like the movie The Dark Tower, uh, the way that it shows uh, that, <laughs> like the way that it shows the Thinny, which was terrible in the movie, um, but it really reminds me of that. It's done much better here, obviously. Uh, so anyway, so the the kids are running again. Uh, they're they're now back in town, and the rain is pouring. And I just love the ambiance of that because it's like, it's like now that we don't see the the big uh, like smokestacks or whatever of the power plant, now we have the ambiance of the rain pouring down and everything, which is just really really cool. Um, it just, it, it's like changing up the atmosphere, but not changing up the tension and ambiance. I, I love it. So the kids regroup and, and they, they all meet up again. I think their flashlights are working again at this point, because since they're away from the cave and they realize that Mikkel is missing and I love it. <laughs> I love it. Like at this moment, I'm like, okay, this is, this is cool. I'm very, I'm very invested, very curious, uh, very interested. Um, so yeah, so then the, like Charlotte takes the old man out and she said his name at one point in there, in there, but I couldn't, I couldn't place what the name was, but he looks outside and he says, it's too late. It's too late to stop it. And again, like that is so, that is so tantalizing. That is so intriguing. It makes me very curious what, what's to come. Um, Yeah. And so at that moment, also all the, like a bunch of cell phones at the meeting start ringing and then, uh, they all rush to where the kids are, which is really cool because you don't see that a lot in like this kind of thing, like, like kids in a situation where something happens and then they immediately call their parents, which is just really, really like refreshing because they're like, yeah, of course, like they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, but Hey, one of the kids is missing, so we're going to rush and we're going to get the police involved. It's not like keeping it a secret or anything. But anyway, uh the police come to the children. Mikkel is reported missing and it's chaos now. Ulrich is running into the woods shouting for Mikkel, and then he gets to the cave and he runs toward it 
because he starts hearing noises. And then right from there, it cuts to the next day. And I, at that moment, I was like, I'm kind of curious if Ulrich is going to go missing too. But he's not because he's just sitting in his car. And I'm very curious about that because I don't know what happened to him when he went in the cave. I'm very curious if something, if he experienced something, if he now has more knowledge about what's going on than what, uh, than, than everyone else, if he made some kind of bargain and that's why Mikkel's body wasn't the body that they found. I don't know, but I'm very curious about what that cut to daybreak was for the narrative of the story. So elsewhere in Winden, Jonas lays in bed. Uh, Ulrich's family is sitting at home, kind of waiting for news about uh, about Mikkel. And then we also see, I think it's Branzos, whatever. Um, I can't remember his name already. Um, I think it's him. He's sitting. He's sitting and looking at a missing child poster for Eric. And that's uh, that's that was my that was my kind of key to. Um, uh, to, to know that that was Eric in the, with the bunk bed and the, and the video playing in the electric chair kind of thing. And then we get a scene with Charlotte calling who I think was Jonas's therapist in the earlier scene. I think I correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, please correct me. <laughs> but, um, that is another bit where we get more information about the interconnectivity of the characters in this community. So Francesca is the daughter of Charlotte and Jonas's therapist, I think. And then Jonas, Jonas's therapist, uh, when he, like, he tells Charlotte over the phone, like, Hey, um, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. And then, and then, uh, but the call is cut short because she has work to do. And then he, he starts like saying the, like, uh, God grant me the serenity to, um, to face the things I cannot change or whatever that is, which I think is, is a mantra that is, that is said in like an Alcoholics Anonymous. So, um, at least that's my association of it. So I think that it's implying that he's a recovering alcoholic and that maybe he is either on the verge of relapsing or has already relapsed, but whatever he has to tell Charlotte, I'm very curious about it. Um, so then the radio comes in, uh, the police radio comes in and says that they found a child's body. And at this point I'm like, okay, I don't know. Is it Eric or is it Mikkel? Like this is, this is really cool storytelling because we have the development of that. We have, we now know, we now know that there are two children that are at risk that are, that are missing. So this is a very satisfying, satisfying kind of plot thread in a way to, lull us into a false sense of uh, resolution because we think like, oh, they're going to find Mikkel's body. They're going to find Eric's body. But it's neither of them. And I find that really interesting. So, but at that point, I thought that it was Mikkel um, just because we had seen Eric, you know, in, with the bunk bed. But Ulrich rushes to the scene. Charlotte hugs him and says, I'm so sorry. Uh, but the body is covered in leaves and Ulrich goes down to look and he sees that it's not Michael, but Jesus Christ, the, <laughs> the eyes are, look like they're burned away and there are bugs crawling over the face and Ulrich stands up and backs away. He says, it's not Michael. And I thought for a second, like, what if it's his brother? And like, there's some time travel thing there, but I, that 
wasn't the case. But the camera does focus on the Walkman that he has, which is really interesting because that is an old, um, <laughs> like old piece of technology. So I don't know if this is something from the past that is that has come in, that has come up. Um, in the forest? I, I don't know. I'm very curious. And then we get the final scene of the episode where we have the prison room where Eric is being held and we have another music video playing. I, the, some of the lyrics were very interesting, but I didn't, I didn't commit them to memory or write them down. But we see a man strapping Eric to what I still thought at this point was an electric chair. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, but uh, I just put, oh, it's not an electric chair. But I'm very curious because I assume that it's some kind of some kind of device to uh, to bring about time travel or bring about interdimensional travel. I, I don't know. It's some kind of science fiction thing, and I am very much invested in it. I'm very much curious. This show has piqued my interest, and I'm very, very excited to, to get into it. So that's basically the episode. I went through beat for beat, so I hope that that was, that was okay and, and nice and thorough. But uh, as far as overall thoughts on the episode, I really like how a lot of stuff is in, introduced in this show uh, right from the outset. And we do not get any solid answers. And I love that. Like this show has this confidence to it that they're introducing all of these, these disparate elements, this, this whole community. And instead of pinning the hope that, that the viewer will come back for the second episode on like some big cliffhanger at the end or some big reveal at the end, like most pilot episodes do. Most pilot episodes end with some big reveal. Like it would have been, like if this were an American show, I would say, if this was an American show and wasn't developed in the age of streaming, uh, with, you know, the Netflix model and everything, um, this absolutely would have ended with like the reveal that Ulrich was having an affair or it would reveal like the reveal of, um, uh, Mikkel disappearing and everything. That's what would have hooked us into watching the next episode. But here we have all of this detail that isn't detailed. We have all of this, uh, interesting, like dangling threads that I am very excited to see be further developed and, and, uh, and just kind of dangled in front of me throughout it like a cat. Um, but yeah, so in addition to the kind of overall vibe and the mystery of the show, I really think that the relationship dynamics were teased very well in this episode. And it really makes me like we're given just enough information to really whet our appetites. And I'm just very interested in that. So since this is a mystery heavy show and it is a show that is, um, you know, contingent on keeping the audience in the, no pun intended, dark. Um, I have a few questions that I have that are just mostly just my, my ignorance and also just things that popped out to me. So I'm going to try to do this with each review where I'm going to kind of have a list of questions, see if some questions are answered, um, and just get further clarification. So 
Um, some dangling uh, thoughts that I have or questions that I have are what happened to Ulrich's brother in 1986 or thereabouts? Uh, and what's the significance of the, of 1986 with the man from the power plant? And who is the man in the power plant? Who is that man? I don't even know if he has a connection to the power plant, but what is the deal with the 33 years? Oh, what is the deal with the 33 years? That's really interesting. I wonder, this could be, uh, this could be completely out of my ass, but the significance of 33 years, I think that that is kind of interesting because, and I don't know if they're going to go this route, but I'm kind of curious if it's going to be, um, I don't know the, the idea that it's 33 years because like Jesus was 33 when he died and, and, uh, and came back like zombie Jesus came back. Um, I wonder if that is a clue or that is a kind of thing that we, um, can be kind of, uh, thought, thinking about. I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe it's a metaphor. Who knows? Um, but I want to know who the kid that they found in the woods is. Why did he have a Walkman? Like, how did he get there? Um, because he did not look decomposed for 33 years. Um, and what is the significance of the cave? Where is Eric being held and why? What's the purpose of the chair? And, uh, also I just, cause I wasn't sure like what, how does Charlotte fit into things and what's the significance of her husband? Um, so a lot of things I'm very much interested in what is going to happen and how the show is going to develop. Um, very, very excited. So, um, that will do it for this, uh, for this, uh, review. I am going to play myself out and, uh, yeah, just once again, thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, Robert in Utah, if you have thoughts, please let me know. But I hope you guys watch this along with me, um, because I feel like this is going to be a really fun, um, a really fun project. So, uh, once again, thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting us. And I'll see you in the next, uh, recording. Patreon and welcome to the second episode of my dark um, uh, TV reaction review recordings that I'm doing for the two dollar and above patrons. I uh, just want to say up top, thank you guys so much for supporting us and for giving us your money. That is incredibly appreciated, and I'm, it just really uh, fills my heart with joy that there are people who want to spend money so that I can keep doing the things that I do, which is talk into microphones and. Uh, force you to listen to me for hours at a time. <laughs> so, um, just very, very grateful that you guys are listening to this or that, that you guys are paying me money for it. So I do appreciate that. Um, this is obviously episode two for my dark series. Um, this is 
a uh okay okay so here we go so this is a unique thing because as i said in the last episode uh robert in utah had donated money and had very much uh wanted me to review this show and so now i'm doing episode by episode reviews and as such since he is very invested in this he is very much i think that this is one of his favorite shows um he and i have been talking about it for a while and uh after listening to my last uh to my last review he had some thoughts and he and i traded some dms and uh and so i just want to see i want to share a little bit of feedback from robert and then get into my review of episode two from dark season one titled lies and uh let's see i can move this down okay so uh it's titled lies and uh okay So Robert said regarding the first episode, Secrets, he said, uh, I can't remember when, but the credits start to slowly change, which I was very curious about that because this seems like the type of show where the opening credits as cool and as, as interesting as they are, they seem like they're, it's the type of show that would evolve with that. Kind of like how Game of Thrones did different like areas and everything, um, showed different areas depending on where the, where the episode is or where, where, like what places in Westeros were, um, uh, were, were being shown (laughs) in the episode. But anyway, this isn't about Game of Thrones. This is about Dark. Um, and then I had talked to him about the voice dub thing. And he said that the only voice in the dub that bothers him is the lady that owns the hotel, Bartaz's mom. Uh, and he said that the voice sounds like an old Chinese lady and it doesn't fit. And I didn't notice that here because she doesn't have much dialogue in this, but I did not realize that she was Bartaz's mom. And that really kind of opened it up that like, okay, now that fits a little bit better um, with it and everything. So in the grand scheme of things. So I'll talk more about that in the actual review. Um, and then Robert also said, uh, he was very, I was very happy to get this feedback. He said, you're pointing out everything I love about this show. You're seeing the Stephen King references and catching ones I even missed. Don't worry about the names. You'll get them down soon. And then he asked if I have a favorite character and he said that he really likes Ulrich. And he says that the actor reminds him of his grandpa, which is awesome. And so I responded to him and said that I think I'm most intrigued by Ulrich, the affair plotline, his closeness to the Eric investigation because of his job, the mystery about his brother, and the whole Mickle thing all really work together to make me think that he's going to be a very interesting and pivotal character. And then... (laughs) I was I was delighted at Robert's reply. He said, dude, you have no idea, no idea, no idea what you're in for. Uh, it's so interesting to hear your theories. Some are on the right trail and some are nowhere close. So I'm very excited to continue doing this and dive deep into this show. So before I get into my thoughts on Lies, the second episode, I do want to address some of the questions from the last episode. I think I'm going to do this for this series as I continue on. Um... At the end of the last episode, I had some questions that remained that prop- popped up from the first episode, and so I'm going to kind of talk through those and how they relate to this episode before I get into my actual review. So the first question was, what happened to Ulrich's brother in 1986? And we found out in this episode that he went missing in 1986 and was never found. And then uh, the next question was, who is the kid that was found in the woods? 
as of this episode, we don't know the specifics of that. Um, and then I put, what is the significance of the cave? And I'm kind of figuring or I'm kind of thinking that uh, this is maybe a crossing into the past, like a portal to get into the past and into the future, maybe. I don't know. And then uh, the next question was, where is Eric being held and why? And my theory after the second episode is that I suspect he's being used to test time travel capabilities. And then uh, the kind of follow up to that question is, what is the purpose of the chair? And I suspect that it's to try to open the portal to the past. I th that's my understanding. And then uh, the next question or the last question I had from last episode is how does Charlotte fit into things and what's the significance of her husband? And uh, my answer after watching the second episode is I still don't know. <laughs> so, um, And I'm not even 100% sure that I have these characters right and everything. So hopefully I do, but it'll come, it'll, it'll get more clear as I continue on in this show. So now let's get into episode two from season one of Dark. It's titled Lies, and it opens on a shot of like this very wide shot, aerial shot of birds flying over the power plant. And as I'm kind of saying that out loud, I just realized like the connection because there's a lot of dead birds at the end of this episode. And I think that that's just really cool imagery. Again, I really like the idea of the power plant being like a specter or a blight on the town. And given that the radio in the first episode says that the plant has the highest safety record in all of Germany, I really like the idea that whatever the hell is going on in this, in this, in the show is happening completely under the noses of the townspeople of Winden. Um, and I'm, I'm just very, very intrigued by that prospect. And uh, also the music in that scene was really cool. Um, and I just really like the soundtrack in general and how just super moody and ominous it is. And then we get uh, in this opening scene, we get just a flash on the screen that says nine hours since Mikkel's disappearance. And I uh, like as I'm going through the episode, I'm making notes and everything. And I put in my notes now. I wonder if Mikkel's disappearance is going to be a season-long thread like Will Byers and Stranger Things. Um, but the first image we see is this guy in a hoodie picking up a dead bird in the field around kind of adjacent to the search party searching for Mikkel. And at first I thought, is that Michael? Like, is that an image of Michael? Is that, is that, is Michael like back from the dead? Michael being Jonas's um, father. But that's not the case. But anyway, uh, it was kind of further, further in my head because it made me think that, um, it, it made me think that because the immediate scene after that is Jonas waking up startled, um, like immediately after that scene. So I had that connection there. Um, but I don't, it's obviously we know by the end of this episode that it's not Michael. Um, yeah. So anyway. Um, so we get Jonas waking up, he goes to the mirror, it's like a perfect recreation of the first scene after Michael's suicide in the first episode, and he goes to the mirror and we see what looks like blood coming from his ear, but it doesn't look like it's coming from his ear canal, um, it just looks like it's dripping down and it looks kind of oily, it doesn't look like red, and then he turns around and sees his father with like the blood all over his face and everything, and then he wakes up for real, and I'm very curious about the ear thing, about the blood and everything, specifically because 
later in the episode when they're going over the dead body of the dead of the dead boy that they found um they talk about how his ears like it's it's like his eardrums were destroyed but not by sound or something like that like the things in the ear canal are not are not affected um the way that they should be given the destruction around the face and the ears and everything. So I find that to be kind of interesting. So anyway, um, the imagery of, by the way, the imagery of, uh, Jonas like bleeding from the ear and everything made me think of radiation sickness. Um, so I don't know, but anyway, uh, he opened, he, he wakes up again for real. And then we get the opening credits and that's where we get the, uh, uh, that's where we get the, the kind of investigation into the dead body. Um, like I said, they talk about how the ear canals were destroyed. It looks like the face, the eyes were burned. Um, just very gruesome, very grisly. And then the, then it cuts to searchers going uh, into the cave looking for Mikkel. And that made me kind of nervous because I didn't immediately notice that it was Ulrich that was going in. I thought it was just a, a random volunteer and I thought that he was going to like disappear or something like that. But um, that wasn't the case. Instead, oh, excuse me. Instead, it's Ulrich, and he digs deeper into it, into the tunnel, into the cave, and he finds a door, a, a hidden doorway that's sealed shut and has a radiation symbol on it. And that's really interesting because that that gives Ulrich this not necessarily renewed resolve, but it gives him another piece of the puzzle. And as we see throughout the rest of the episode, episode, Ulrich is now working the case in a very different way. He's seeing things that he didn't see before, and I just really like that as a storytelling, um, as a storytelling device by the show, um, because it is just showing us that he's looking at things differently and everything. And I just I really like that. So anyway, uh, then we cut to Francesca who, um, Mangus or Magnus, I think it's Mangus. Uh, he, I think it was him at least he confronts her and she talked, he mentions like, what were you doing there? And she says like, Oh, I over overheard you guys talking about the drugs and something just kind of came over me and I decided to go. Um, also just random aside, Mangus reminds me so much of Paul Dano. It's ridiculous. Um, and then we cut to, Francesca's dad, Charlotte's husband, who I still don't know his name, and I only vaguely think that he is Jonas's therapist, maybe not, I'm not sure, but he's in his car listening to a radio report about Mickle, and he's kind of crying, he's in, he's in tears, he's crying, and I think at this point he takes a phone call with Charlotte, um, or he he calls, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm mixing it up with the last episode, but he's crying and I'm very curious what his connection is here. And I'm curious what he's hiding and what he knows. And I'm very curious how that's going to go. And then as if that wasn't mysterious, we see Ulrich's parents and most notably his father, who I'm not sure if he was the old man in the rest home that came that that came to the meetings uh, sp uh, sputtering about how um how it's happening again it's happening again and it's too late i'm not sure cuz that i i can't make sense of it but uh he puts in a load of laundry kind of discreetly and it looks like there's a blood on it so 
I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. And I'm very curious how it's going to all unfold, especially given the end of the episode and the reveal of Mickle's whereabouts, or shall I say, whenabouts. <laughs> um, so uh, Ulrich's mother comes in and uh, asks his father, like, hey, what? Um, where were you last night? And he, I think he gives like kind of just a, a weak ass alibi. And, uh, and then, and then they kind of go about their day, but I really like how this episode was positioned or is positioned as taking place the day after Mickle's disappearance. So it kind of feels like it honestly kind of feels like these two episodes side by side put together form a one, like one complete pilot episode. That's kind of how it feels to me, because I know that the next episode's title is Past and Present, and I have a feeling, and I'm curious about this, and this is going to come up later in the review, of course, but I'm very curious if it's now going to have divergent timelines, one in 1986, one in 2019, to go through the rest of the season, which I would be very, very... <clears throat> wow, I just my voice cracked so terribly. I would very much be game for that. So anyway... Um, then, uh, she, uh, Ulrich's mother says, uh, first Mads, now Mickle, it's exactly like last time. And at that point I'm like, okay, Mads must be Ulrich's brother. He went missing in 1986. And then we get Mingus's sister, Martha, asking her mother, Katerina, about her dad's brother as it switches back to, to them. And we get some more exposition with um, with her, with uh, Katerina saying that Ulrich was 15 when Mads disappeared, Mads was 12, and he was never found. And at that point, I'm like, I wonder if he's the hooded man. I wonder if he is like the hooded man, because we know that it's not the dead body or anything. So... Um, so yeah, I was very curious about that. Uh, but then of course I think that I'm completely off base. <laughs> and so, uh, Martha's mother says that Mickle is definitely coming back. And I don't know if that's just hopeful thinking or what, but above all else, despite that kind of bit of optimism, I really, really like the way that there is like this darkness that has cast a pall over the characters in light of Mickle's disappearance. And I really like the way that this show is demonstrating how, how this single event or this pair of events with Eric's disappearance just personally affects everyone. And I think that that's a credit to the first episode being so interwoven with the character introductions that we have this sense of it as a complete community and everything. And now we see the community dealing with something that is, that is not, not to their, not, that is not something that they can grasp mentally. So I, I just really like the way that the, the tone has shifted in this episode. Not that it was very light and fun in the first episode, but now it's even darker. No pun intended. So then we get Bartaz trying to call Martha. He's very conflicted about it. And obviously he's conflicted about it because he knows that his, that her sister, that her brother is missing. <laughs> um, and he gets her voicemail and everything. And he just asked to uh, to call her, call him back, and um, 
Then we get back to the police, and they're talking about the dead boy that was found. It's established that it's neither Eric or Mickle. And their assessment, and I found this so interesting, and I love this as a breadcrumb for the reveal at the end, which kind of figured that the end was going to happen. But um, their assessment is that someone dressed the kid up in clothes from the 1980s. And like in my notes, I have, he's from the past. He was sent to 2019. Um, and I thought like, was he, was he a guinea pig? Is that the chair? Like what, like what is the deal there? But they even go so far as to say like this Walkman is from 1986 and everything, uh, or is from the eighties. And I just found that so interesting the way that it's just communicating to us that he is in, that he's not decayed. He's not like, it's not, it is, it's as if someone dressed him up in the eighties. So that tells me that he came from another time or came from the 80s to 2019. And I'm just so curious what what that's all about. Um, so then Ulrich bursts in and says that he found a door and he's kind of he's kind of in a panic. He's in he's in um he's in kind of just a uh, a, a panic basically or he says that there's a metal door in the cave that leads to the power plant he says that everything is connected which i think is obviously like a big tagline for the show so i think that that's something that's very very nice um and uh so charlotte to kind of calm him down is saying that she's going to request a search warrant uh for the cave slash the plant so then one thing I really like about the show is the way that it's edited, the way that it's uh, cut together, like it's very clean because like they just talked about the plant. So then we get a scene at the plant uh, with Alexander is the guy's name talking to Eric's father. And he this is all very ominous. Alexander is the man that who got the massage in the last episode. And he's talking to Eric's father and he says that the police will be here tonight and he says they need to be dealt with. And uh, Eric's father says something else. Uh, someone else should do it because of because of Eric. They'll be looking closer at him. And now that I'm saying this out loud, when Alexander, the kind of uh, the head of the presumably the head of the power plant, says that the police will be here tonight, is he saying that because he knows about it? Because he is like time traveling and like he knows all like what's going to happen in this timeline or is he saying that because you know he has an inside man or he knows like he because they got the request for the search warrant i don't know but i think that that's pretty interesting um so then alexander then says is this blackmail and then eric's father who i never caught his name they showed it on screen later in the episode but i never caught it but anyway um, Alexander says, is this blackmail? And Eric's father says, no, why would I? And it's very, very kind of ominous there. Um, and then I thought this was interesting and so vague and everything, but Alexander says, you know, the difference between successful and not successful. No idea. Cause he's, he just kind of like looks at it. He kind of, um, I don't know. He he kind of he kind of just like nods like, yeah, you know what it means. So I don't I don't know. But anyway, he says uh, that he t- he's telling him that he needs to do something tonight. Um, and he says not a word to anyone. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. So then we get the hotel. And at first I was very kind of nervous about this because this was the weaker point of the first episode for me. But this scene really opens things up in a really interesting way. 
So the man from the forest, the man from like with the dead bird walks in, he enters with a suitcase. And at this point, there's like an interesting kind of sound design there. I think it's like a thumbing, I think. Um, and he goes and he asks for a room. And that is very interesting to me because as it goes on, well, I'll talk about that later. It's it's just really interesting. It puts the hotel in, into a focal point that I'll talk about later. So then we cut to Jonas looking through a dark room. At that moment, I didn't know where he was. Later, I figured out that he's in the room where Michael hanged himself. And then we get a cut to the search party. And Ulrich's dad is talking to someone, I think maybe Charlotte or I don't know. But um, they're talking about Mads and how, you know, it's terrible that, you know, uh, first Ulrich's son disappeared and now his grandson disappeared. So it's it's just really tragedy, tragic and everything. And she kind of tries to give him comfort and says, and says, we'll find him. And then he says, perhaps, perhaps not. And I'm very curious what is the deal with him, really, because later in the episode, I kind of felt like he was going to kill himself, but we didn't get a resolution to that. So maybe next episode, we'll get some kind of more information there. So then we cut to Ulrich's mom opening a box that's labeled Mads. And um, again, I kind of like the sound design here. At this point, it kind of sounds like an electrical interference in this like kind of low bassy hum throughout it. And I just really like that. And then it cuts right to the entrance of the cave and we hear like it's more bombastic and threatening and like the sound design of that, the music and everything that plays, it reminds me so much of the sounds in the Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite sequence of 2001 A Space Odyssey, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and then in a, like, I had to rewind this because we then see a man exiting the cave for like a brief second and he's got his hood up and everything. He looks very intimidating. It's clearly the guy who is running the experiment with Eric. Um, yeah, just really interesting. And then we cut back to the hotel with the man. Um, I think he might be credited as the stranger. Um, he has taken a shower. He's cleaned himself up and he's looking at a bunch of stuff on a wall that he's put up and he picks up a key on top of a book that's titled a journey through time. And I just, that's when I, that's when I realized like, oh, okay, he's, He's the man from the forest. Um, and I really thought that he was Mads. I really thought that he was like, that he was Mads, that he had been in the forest for 33 years. And yeah, I, I thought that that was the case, but it's not. And I love it so much. So um, this is where I, I was going to say that um, this whole thing with him in the hotel, it really makes me feel better about the hotel subplot in general. Um, because in the first episode, like I said, it just didn't seem like it fit well with the narrative at all. But now there's a connection to the bigger story with the hotel. And I can't help but notice or can't, can't help but make this connection again and again. But had this been an American production, had this been an American TV show um, on maybe maybe on basic cable, but even on network TV or on streaming, I don't know, had this been, regardless, had this been an American production, the first episode would have ended with him getting the room. That would have been this cheap cliffhanger uh, to hook people in for the next episode. 
but we but that's not the case because this show knows exactly how to tell its story and i can tell that already from the second episode and i am very much invested in that so then we uh we see him take a box from the suitcase and it's some kind of device this is the only time we see it in this in the scene or in the show it just looks kind of ancient and it like in my head and my notes I have, is this a portable time travel device or something? Um, I'm assuming that he's trying to, uh, put together a way to, to go back in time. That's, that's my kind of theory. So another reason why I initially thought that the man from the forest was Mads is that right after we see this little portable time travel device, presumably it was what it is, I don't know, um, we cut to Ulrich's mother at Mads's grave. And the fact that it just cut to this scene from the scene of the man in the hotel just really made me think that he was Mads. And I think that that's intentional. I think that they were just kind of trying to give us a, a very good red herring and it worked really well. So another thing about this, about uh, Ulrich's mother at Mads's grave is that I really like that she appears to be changing the action figure on the gravestone. Um, it's kind of like replenishing flowers on a display, but since he was a child, she just rotates action figures. And I thought that that had just this air of sweetness and sadness, uh, baked into it. And I just, I really appreciate that like character moment, um, for the, for the episode. So, um, let's see. Uh, yeah. So then we get a scene with Charlotte telling Ulrich, uh, over the phone that the request for a search warrant, a warrant (laughs) of the plant was blocked by Alexander. Um, and then we get more rain and I got, I got the sense that this episode, and I think maybe the last episode as well has this like effect where it begins to rain and then gets heavier and heavier downpour as the episode, um, progresses. I don't know for sure if that's what happened in the last episode, but I definitely feel like that was uh, what was going on in this episode. Um, and I just really like that ambiance and everything. So then we get a scene where Ulrich then receives a call from Hannah and then he declines the call. And I immediately thought like, Oh, that's interesting because his, his daughter received a call from her boyfriend and, uh, and he, she didn't pick up there. And then as I was typing that, I see that Martha, like the scene cuts to Martha declining Bartaz's call, which I just, I, I don't know. I like that. So anyway, um, then we get a quick scene of Mangus, uh, punching the wall until his knuckles bleed. I think that was him. Um, and I think that he's in Mickle's room. I'm not sure exactly. Or it might have been Jonas now. I know because it cuts to Jonas after that. He's lying on his back in the room, which that's where I noticed like, oh, it's the room where Michael hanged himself. And so, th- so that made sense. And then there's just like this eerie symmetry to him lying on the floor where his dad killed himself. Like there's just this eeriness to that, that I was, I was pretty unsettled by it. And then it leads to him finding the secret compartment in the ceiling. And he finds this weird like map. Um, It's not necessarily a map of the cave, but it's a map of the forest, I guess. And it's just it like, that's really appetizing. That's really appetizing. And 
better yet, it cuts from that to a scene of Eric in the chair in his little like prison cell room. And the video that's playing that time, I was just so tickled by this. The video that's playing at this scene is a man talking about traveling through a black hole. It's like this old stuffy, like scientific thing, uh, demonstration. And it's a particularly about human beings traveling through a black hole. And I was just delighted by that because I knew that that breadcrumb about black holes in the first episode, the, the girl giving a presentation about black holes, I knew that that was some kind of foreshadowing. So I just, I was, I loved it. I loved it so much. And then so we get this really cool scene after that with Ulrich arriving at the power plant. And this is where I noticed that it was raining a bit harder. And so uh, Alexander is kind of meeting him there on the other side of the gate with a bunch of kind of goons uh, around. And Ulrich just goes crazy. He starts begging to be let in to look through the plant. And he... uh, He's he's like screaming at Alexander and he's saying like, it's my son. I need to do this or whatever, uh, but to no avail. And then it cuts to Bartas with the drug stash, which I forgot about this until this moment when looking at my notes uh, as he's going through the drug stash, he finds Eric's phone and uh, it, it like has the display that says that there's three attempts to unlock it before it locks down. He does one attempt and then sets the phone down. Very curious how that, what, what that's going to lead to and everything. Very, very interested in that. And then back at the police station, Hannah has arrived to see Ulrich and she, he kind of shut, shush, uh, shushes her into, or scurries her into like a, like a records room or something. And he asks why she's there and she just says, I'm so sorry. And then tries to kiss him and kisses him a few times and then asks if he's heard anything. And this I found pretty interesting or pretty curious, I should say, because we, I believe in the first episode, it was her that was giving the massage to Alexander. I don't know if that's her job or if that is communicating to us that she is in cahoots with Alexander and with the power plant, but something is kind of amiss with that. And I kind of wondered if she is somehow involved in whatever is happening in the greater scheme of things. And that's kind of confirmed a little bit because throughout the scene, she still tries to kiss him uh, over and over again. And and until he stops, stops it and says that he'll call her and then, uh, you know, they leave. That makes me curious because like I said, in the first episode, um, she says that she loves him. And this is five months after I, who I presume to be her husband committed suicide there's a scene later with Jonas talking to Martha, or not Martha, but Jonas talking to, um, to Hannah and she, he asks her if he loved Michael and she doesn't have an answer because they're interrupted by the power coming back on. But I'm just really curious if she has something going on, if there's something going on where she's, she's kind of working, working Ulrich in a way. I'm kind of leaning toward that. Like, I kind of get the sense that she prematurely said that I love you to him. And then now she's trying to maintain closeness to him. I'm curious if there's something going on. We'll see. 
But we cut to Jonas looking over the map that he found, and I love the breadcrumbs here. I love the the just slowly opening door of the mystery, but we can't see too far into it. Because as he's looking over the map, we get the kind of display on the screen that says, where is the crossing? There's It's a notation on it. And... Whew, I really wondered what that what that means. And I was wondering, like, okay, is it mean crossing into another dimension or another timeline? Or is it meaning, like, where is the portal to go into the past or go into the future? And so uh, I really like that. And again, the way the show is structured, it cuts, it cuts uh, to Ulrich looking over the dead kid's belongings, and he's suspe- specifically looking at the coin and looking at it as dated as 1986. And so in that scene, he's thinking about it in relation to his brother, I'm sure. But also, that's that leads me to think that the notation on the map of where is the crossing is meant to mean that Michael was looking for a portal to go back in time to 1986. And that if that's right, why? <laughs> like, to what end? And it just seems, it seems like right now that Eric was abducted and is a guinea pig to test some time travel device being the chair. Um, And I just, I don't know, like, I was left wondering why the importance to go back in time? Why push reality that far? So as of right now, my kind of pet theory is that this show on a large scale is about time paradoxes. And it's not necessarily about the discovery of time travel, rather the correction of time travel that's already occurred. And so here's here's the kind of notes that I have about that. Mads disappeared in 1986 and was never found. Now, 33 years later, another kid disappears, and then another. And I was wondering at this point, um, is this a story about how Mads stumbled into a time travel portal and then he or whoever tried to learn more about it, then did a bunch of tests that now need to be corrected by like like the tests being failures of like sending people back in time or forward in time, whatever. And so now all of those tests need to be corrected so as not to create a paradox that would destroy the universe and everything. That's what I have right now. I do not have near enough information uh, to to kind of corroborate any of that. But that's kind of where I'm thinking that the show is going to go. But uh, I also have in my notes that I need to watch Time Crimes again because I really like that movie. <laughs> Time Crimes is a fantastic movie. So uh, we cut back to the police station. Ulrich asks if... Um, or not, we don't cut back to it. We're still in the police station. Because he sees something on screen about Mr. Obendorf, Eric's father. Um, and so he rushes out and asks if if Eric's father was questioned because he discovered that he was working uh, at the plant the night that Eric went missing. And I just, I love that because again... Now that Eric, uh, not that Ulrich uh, suspects that there's something suspicious with the plant, he's looking at things from a different angle. And that's kind of opening it up. And I find that that's a really interesting storytelling or story like narrative structure for the show because we are existing in progress in this story. We are, we are going through this story 
in progress. He's already investigated the missing missing kid. Now the stakes have been raised where he is personally involved in it. And he is seeing things from a different angle. So we are seeing, instead of having just exposition dumps and everything, we're seeing his tactics to investigate um, this this missing child uh, case because it relates to his missing child as well. And I think that that is just really, really interesting and compelling um, storytelling. And yeah, so I just, I find that really interesting. So... Uh, Ulrich then runs or he goes to, uh, I guess Eric and his father's like place. Like they have like a trailer and like what looks like a greenhouse, which now I'm thinking that yes, it's to grow, grow drugs, I guess. Um, so Ulrich breaks into the greenhouse and we get the, we get the kind of tense moment of, of, uh, Eric's father hearing him and getting the shotgun and going out. Um, going out to the, to the greenhouse, um, to investigate. And so they, they have this scene or they have this, this, uh, this scene between Ulrich and Eric's father is really interesting because first, first Ulrich finds a trap door and I'm thinking like, Oh my God, this is, this is really, really compelling because does he have like a kid down there or something like what's going on? And it's exacerbated by the fact that he has this chain down there and he's and Ulrich is pulling up these, this chain. We don't know what it is. When the object finally comes out, my immediate thought is, is it is, is it a severed head? Like, what is this? But it's just a stash of drugs. And then we get this really interesting scene between Eric's dad and Ulrich, um, where Eric's dad says that he and Eric were working together with the drugs and then Ulrich asks if, if Mr. Obendorf was at the plant yesterday and he says, no, why? Um, and it's just, it's really interesting because these two, it's such an interesting dynamic because these two men both have missing sons. And I don't know. I, I just, at this point in the episode, I was kind of wondering if these characters are going to converge again and, and what that, that dynamic is going to be like. Um, but Immediately after that, we get a scene where this hooded figure in the forest is dragging a body in the woods. And I think like, I'm like 99% sure that it's the body of Eric. Um, he's dead. Um, and like my suspicion is that the chair didn't work. And so now they're getting rid of, uh, the dead Guinea pig basically. And then right after that, I don't know if it's connected with this, but we see Alexander in the forest overseeing some shady business with this object that's being loaded into a semi semi trailer. And I don't know if that is the chair, like maybe it's being decommissioned or something, or if it's Eric's body or what it is that they're, that they're squirreling away. But, um, my suspicion is that maybe the quote unquote nuclear power mafia is cleaning up their Eric mess now that the experiment presumably failed. Um, but I do like the, the kind of nice scene of paranoia where Alexander looks around and, uh, kind of suspects that he's being watched. So I, I like that. That kind of shows that Alexander as powerful as he seems to be in this show, he is not above having his cage rattle, rattled a bit. He's not all powerful. He's, he's paranoid and he's, he's, you know, 
things are keeping him on his toes. And I think that that's really interesting for what I presume to be a villain character. Although, as Jonas said in the last episode, good and evil is just a matter of perspective. So we'll see. So then we get the scene with Jonas and Hannah. And I don't understand. The dialogue is a little bit weird because he talks about Michael as if she wasn't married to him. So maybe he's, maybe she's like his stepson or something. Um, but anyway, so she says that maybe we never know what someone is really like. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I, that's corroborating my suspicion that she is behind something or she's like, she's involved in some way that isn't clear yet. Um, that, that, I'm very curious about that. Um, but Jonas asks if uh, she loved Michael. And just then the power comes back on and she doesn't give him an answer. So I find that pretty interesting. And then this is the scene that it cuts to. Because then we have we have kind of a small montage of power flickering and coming on and flickering and everything throughout the town. But before that, we have Ulrich's father um, in bed and we see this shot of this bottle of pills on the bedside table. And I felt like it was leading to him maybe killing himself, like I said before. But it doesn't come back in any in any way. Like, it's not something that uh, happens in this episode. So we'll see in the next episode. So then we get Ulrich coming home. And he sits in Mikkel's room with his wife, Katerina. And she says, like, hey, no matter what, you tell me the truth. You tell me, you do not, you do not lie to me. Tell me the truth. And I, like an idiot, um, <laughs> thought that she was, re she was about to confront him about the Hannah affair. But what she was saying, because then she, like, hugs him and they start crying together, what she was referring to was the investigation into Mickle's disappearance. And I found that to be really interesting. Um... Also, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have this super dumb observation, but in the last episode, I mentioned that the actor who plays Ulrich looks a lot like Mads Mikkelsen. And it blows my mind a little bit in a weird way, but Ulrich has a brother named Mads and a son named Mikkel. So, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm 100% sure that that's not intentional in any way, but I just like that this actor who looks like, looks vaguely like Mads Mikkelsen, um, is playing a character who has a brother named Mads and a son named Mikkel. Weird, can't be intentional, um, just a silly coincidence and a dumb observation on my part, but I kind of, uh, got kind of a kick out of that when I, uh, when I, um, came to that point, point, but then we get this, uh, here's where we get the montage because we get this ominous shot of the cave and we hear a sound that jumps out of it at us. And that's when we get this montage of the power flickering all over town, the school, the hotel, Ulrich's house, the police station, everywhere. I don't know what that is. I'm very curious what that's all about. I'm very curious what is causing it, what the significance of that is, because right now the cave feels like, like we know that the cave is like this underground way into the power plant facility. And we are presuming that the room in which Eric was being held is somewhere underground in that vicinity. 
But the show is making such an effort to distinguish to us that this cave is like a living organism of sorts. And I really like that kind of perception of it um, as it's depicted in this in these two episodes. I'm just very curious about it. And then at this point, that's when I was wondering if the old man in the rest home in the in the first episode was Ulrich's father. Not sure. I don't have that uh, in front of me or anything. Um, yeah. But then we see someone walking out of the police station. I believe it's Charlotte. And she just sees a ton of dead birds. Um, and like this is all just really, really curious to me. Um, it, these are all just pieces of a puzzle that we don't see the full image yet, but I'm very much invested in it. Um, and then we cut to the man in the hotel and, (laughs) uh, this scene floored me. Um, he's in the hotel room. He is hanging up a newspaper clipping that now that I'm thinking about it looks rather, rather aged. Um, or maybe not, maybe not. Maybe I'm just putting something out there. Yeah, it's, it doesn't look aged. Anyway, never mind, never mind. So uh, he puts up a newspaper clipping with the headline, Where is Mickle? And then at that point, I'm like, oh shit, like he's not Mads, he's Mickle. He's Mickle. He's Mickle, aged 33 years in the future, uh, or aged 33 years from last night. Um, just, I was just like, I can't believe I got hoodwinked with that. But then I wrote down, I, I typed out, he's writing something. And then I put in all caps, ha 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 fuck yes. He writes, he scribbles out where, and he writes, when is Mickle? And God damn it, you guys, that is one of my favorite tropes of, ti- of time travel stories. The whole like, where are we? No, when are we? I, I love that. And I love the way that it's used in this. So, um... Uh, and then, uh, and then we cut to young Mickle walking out of the cave and that's where I get confirmation. Like, okay, maybe the hotel man isn't Mickle after all. Um, and then, and then I just, uh, or no, 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 no. That's when I, that's when I, uh, got confirmation. I don't know. I don't know. I thought for a second that it wasn't Mickle. And then I thought, or he is and Mickle exiting the cave is exiting it in a different time, which is what happened. And then he turns around, he turns back and the cave is gone, I think. And I thought that was really interesting. So he's running through the woods and then he finally arrives home. And this is where we get just such a cool, 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 cool ending to the episode. Um, but at that point I stopped and I said, I'm very curious, um, about this. And I put, I feel like this is going to end on a cliffhanger that it's going to reveal he's in a different time. My guess is he traveled back to 1986 and the hotel, the man in the hotel is in 2019 is Mickle. And maybe Mickle is trying, is going to try to set things right in 2019. Maybe that's what the device was. He's trying, trying to go back in time to 1986 to stop his younger self from being stuck there, I guess. I don't know. But as young Mickle is walking along the driveway, we, we see he looks into what appears to be a very old-ish car. And as he's trying to open the door, someone opens it for him. It's a teenager. And Mickle says, I'm Mickle. I live here. And then he says, well, I'm Ulrich. I live here. And I just like, he did travel back to 1986. And I love it. I love it so much. And then 
Katarina is in the driveway, uh, and then they drive off and everything. And then the closing scene, the closing image of this episode of Dark is a newspaper at the, at the, on the, on the ground, um, which I thought this was a really nice connection. Uh, the newspaper headline says Chernobyl half a year later, which I thought that was really nice to tie it into, um, tie it into nuclear catastrophe and everything and kind of bring us, bring to mind the nuclear, nuclear power plant at the center of the show. And then we get the date, November 5th, 1986. And I put in all caps just a string of haws and I put in all caps November 5th I just realized that it's November 5th that's the day Doc Brown invented time travel and back to the future I love that as an easter egg I absolutely love that um and I was just so floored by that um yeah I'm just I'm just so excited about that honestly <laughs> That's just so awesome. Um, I just, oh God, that is such, it's such a delight. It's such a delight. So I, I love that. So anyway, um, kind of to wind down the overall, my overall thoughts on the episode is I really loved it. I thought that it was a very good deepening of the mystery. And, uh, while also having more stuff fleshed out, um, it's a very good balance of giving us information and concealing truths and everything. So I really, really like that. And, Again, I've said this over the course of the last two reviews, but I feel like this show is displaying such a strong confidence in its storytelling, and I just am so entrenched in it, so interested in it, very much uh, looking forward to continuing on with this. So before I close out the episode, um, I have a few questions lingering from the episode um, that I'll address at the top of my review for the next episode. But anyway, the questions I have from this episode are, what is Eric's dad's involvement with the power plant? Um, and what was Alexander overseeing uh, the removal slash transportation of? And is Eric officially dead? Or was that Francesca? I'm pretty sure that that was Eric. Um and my big question that I kind of hope is the case, uh, given the end of the episode, is the show now going to branch into two t separate timelines? And I kind of have the feeling that that's what it's going to do because the next episode is called Past and Present. Um, I don't know if those branching timelines are going to be something that runs throughout the rest of the season or if it's just going to be a one episode thing. Uh, to further kind of give us that information about what led, like what Mickle has been doing in the, uh, for the last 33 years. But I'm very curious how it's all going to play out. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's it for episode two of Dark season one, uh, titled Lies, which again, this is available on Netflix. Uh, definitely watch it. If you are watching it, um, along with me, I know Robert is a uh, tiny might be, but if you're listening, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this show along with me, let me know. Cause I'm very curious what you guys are thinking about this as well. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and start playing myself out. Uh, once again, to thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting us and everything. Also, thank you, Robert, for, you know, pushing me finally to watch the show. Um, I told him like, while I uh, was on a break from recording that, um, 
Uh, I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna be constantly apologizing for dragging my feet watching the show. So, anyway, I'll see you in the next recording. Thank you guys, and have a good one. Okay, and I am jumping back in here. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed these two uh, Patreon exclusive reviews of uh, Dark, the first two episodes. And I just want to reiterate at least watch the show because <laughs> I just really love this show. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on dark uh, episode by episode, sign up patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. You'll get access to a total as of this recording, 11, almost 11 and a half hours worth of audio, just covering, just covering dark. And that isn't including everything else that I have on Patreon for you guys. Um, but soon enough, I'm going to be re- reviewing, um, season two and season three. And then I'm going to be reviewing, uh, their new show, 1899. I've also got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. Uh, later this month, I'm going to be reviewing, uh, episode by episode reviewing, uh, for all mankind. I've actually already got five of them reviewed, uh, uh, recorded and prepped and everything. So those are going to start on October 24th and they're going to go out basically every other day. Um, so a lot of stuff on Patreon. Check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm also probably going to have an immediate reaction or, um, yeah, immediate reaction kind of, uh, or TV reaction recording of, um, Disney Plus's Werewolf uh, by Night, which uh, I actually just got a screener for just uh, today. So uh, that'll be up when that special goes up on uh, Disney Plus. So um, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and play myself out once again. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and and everything. And uh, be sure to check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and check out my reviews on nouveau.net for a bunch of Heartland International Film Festival reviews. We'll be back later this week with Ben and I uh, talking about Heartland proper. So until then, thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. It's ballsy to have uh, the third episode have a single character travel way back 33 years in the past and then reintroduce us to the major players of the story, their younger selves, three episodes into the series. How insane is that? I think I talked about that in episode two, but that is insane. That is some insane balls, insane storytelling balls for uh, for someone to do that in the third episode of a series. And I think that it is definitely a a triumph of the storytelling that those first two episodes did such an incredible job of setting up the community and setting up the characters that jumping us back 33 years to the past or 33 years in the past and reintroducing us to them as much younger versions of themselves. Already we know these characters, we know the dynamics, we know what's going on. And like, it is, it is music. It's, it's brilliant. It's amazing. So I, I love it. So after This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. 
for exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.